Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for this time. We're grateful for your word. We pray that we would see its truth and we would see how it applies to our life, how it teaches us to live more like disciples, followers of yours, Jesus. And so we ask that you would bless us in this time as we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. We are in the middle of the book of Matthew, literally in the middle of the book of Matthew. We have taken 14 of the 28 chapters in the Gospel of Matthew. Okay, so we're in the middle of the Gospel of Matthew, and I just want to give you a little highlight from the Gospel that we've covered so far. Uh, we've been walking along with Jesus, just like the disciples walk with Jesus, trying to learn from the disciples, or from Jesus, just like the disciples were learning from Jesus. And so I want to just highlight so far what we've covered uh, we've talked about Jesus' lineage, how he came from the line of King David, the virgin birth, how Mary his, was his mother, a virgin, the Christmas story of Jesus being brought into this world, his name being um, Jesus, the one who saves his people from their sins. We talked about the baptism of Jesus, how John the Baptist baptized him, and it was kind of the preparation, the start of his ministry as he was led off into the... No, let's go back. Uh, can we go back one slide, please? Yeah, thank you. Uh, the, Baptist, the temptation of Jesus and, and how he's tempted by Satan, and, but that was really the beginning of his ministry. And then he went out and he called the 12 disciples, 12 people he knew he was going to train and he was going to prepare them for when he left because they were going to be the ones that were going to start the, the buildup of the church carry on the mission that Jesus started. And so he was spending time with these 12 disciples. And so then we come now to see uh, the next, next part where Jesus does much ministry. Or I, I guess I forgot one of them, didn't I? Oh, so we get to chapter 5 to 7, and he's on the Sermon on the Mount. And for those um, three chapters, he is teaching the people, and he's giving them great insight and giving us great insight and wisdom. He's talking about the topics of good works, how we are to do good for the Lord. He's talking about the aspects of the law of the Old Testament that now has been replaced by the grace of God in Jesus. He talks about how we are to be salt and light to the world, to bring the message of God into the world. We're, we talked about how we're not to love money and we're not to worry and we're not to judge others. And then he goes down and he, and he starts to do ministry. And he starts to heal, and he starts to preach about the kingdom of God. And he tells everybody how salvation is found in him alone, in Jesus alone. This was such a new and radical teaching. And because of this, it starts to cause conflict. It starts to cause conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees. And we'll see this conflict happen until the very end of the gospel, the very end of Jesus' life. There will be this conflict. In fact, even in this Gospel chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 15, we'll see it this morning. And then Jesus starts to teach with parables, with stories that have deeper meanings. The teaching about the kingdom of God, trying to help people understand what is the kingdom of God really like. And then last week we saw him do two great miracles, right? He fed over 5,000 people with two fish and five loaves of bread. And he walked on the water and even enabled Peter to walk on the water for a while. And then we come to chapter 15. As we come to chapter 15, we see that we're going to talk about the importance of loving God. 
over tradition. There's been these traditions placed upon the people and they've taken a high point in the people's lives, in religion's life. And Jesus says, no, it's about the love of God, that faith and faithfulness are more important than law and tradition. And so we come to chapter 15, and it starts in the early part of the chapter with an encounter with the Pharisees that we've talked about. Before that, I want you to think about for a moment. If your parents are anything like my parents, what was probably the one thing they asked you to do when you came to the dinner table? What did they ask you? Did you wash your hands? Did you wash your hands? You're sat down. Did you, why do they ask you that? Because kids never think about washing their hands, right? Right? They, they don't think about washing their hands. And they come to, did you wash your hands? No, mom, no, dad. Okay, and they have to go wash their hands, right? They did that because they knew that when you don't wash your hands, that you can have germs that can cause some, you can have germs that can cause problems, right? Did you wash your hands? They did that because it was something that our family did. They did because it was a good practice to do. Now, I have to confess to you, there were times when they forgot to ask me and I didn't wash my hands. Anybody come to dinner table without washing their hands? Even now, as an adult, there's times. Don't tell my wife. There's times when I come to dinner table and I don't wash my hands. Now, I don't do it because I'm trying to be mean or rude. I don't do it because I'm trying to to defile God or defile myself. I don't do it to, because I'm trying to do something wrong. I do it because I'm either in a hurry, because I'm late to the table, right? My wife's called me to the table three or four times, right? Oh, no, I need to get there. Or just because I forget, right? Washing your hands was a big thing even back then. We see in Matthew 15, verse 2, the Pharisees are saying to Jesus, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. The Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' time, didn't like it that the disciples were starting to eat and they hadn't washed their hands. They believed that by doing that, they were defiling themselves and they were defiling God by not washing their hands. That not only was it just a bad practice, but that they were actually sinning against God when they didn't wash their hands and they were eating. That was what they were believed. That's what they believed, and that's what they taught. So we have this situation, right? This conflict, this, this encounter between Jesus and the Pharisees. Now, because Jesus was their master, anything that they did was a reflection on him, right? And so because they were doing this, that's why the Pharisees went to Jesus. They're saying, why are you allowing your disciples to eat with unwashed hands? That is on you. You are not training them correctly. You're not teaching them the right things. You are allowing them to defile themselves and not honor God by this practice. But Jesus responds to them. He says in 15, 3 to 6, Jesus replied, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and your mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say, he's talking to the Pharisees, that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father and mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father and mother with it. Thus, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. 
Remember earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus was talking about how we shouldn't judge one another. See, that the Pharisees were more concerned with the sins of others than anything else that was going on in their life. They were constantly pointing out to others what they were doing wrong. And Jesus says, no, you need to look at yourself. You need to understand what are you doing? What sin is in your life? Don't neglect your sin by looking at the sin of others first. See, Jesus is referring here to how the Pharisees would, would charge the people to give their money to the church instead of helping out their father and mother, especially maybe if their mother was a widow and needed help, right? In that time, if, some, if a woman was a widow, she really needed help of her children. And so they, they were taking their money and they were giving it to their mother, right, to help. But the Pharisees say, no, you need to give it to the church because the church needs your money. And Jesus is saying, by doing this, by asking them to do this, you are causing them to break the fifth commandment. And in essence, you are sinning by putting this charge on the people. And then he goes on to verses 7 to 9, and whenever you see yellow, please read with me. Jesus said, you hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. There will be times when we sin, and hopefully we don't do it willfully. But even in those times when we willfully sin, hopefully we have humble hearts so that if someone points out our sin to us, we will humble ourselves, we'll confess our sin, and receive the forgiveness and the cleansing that Jesus so wonderfully and compassionately gives. This is how you know someone is a true follower of Christ. When they are in sin and you confront them in their sin and they humble themselves and say, I need to take that to God. I need to ask God to forgive me. I need to receive God's cleansing for that. They humbly receive it. Traditions are good, but if they, the traditions are good if they lead us to God with a humble heart. Because God knows that when the heart is right, so will our actions be. But the, for the Pharisees and what they were putting on the people, the traditions were not leading them to honor God with their behavior. I remember it so well. I was at the Colosseum, 75,000 men. As a promise keeper's event. It was designed to, to bring men into a, a deeper, more meaningful relationship with God. So here we were, 75,000 men singing praise to God. Hearts were open. It was worshipful. It was meaningful. It was powerful. It was God honoring. And yet another time, I was with 12 people in a cabin. And we were singing praise to God. Not quite as big a sound as 75,000 men in the Colosseum, but there was 12 of us. Hearts were open. We were singing praise. It was worshipful. It was meaningful. It was powerful. It was God-honoring. Because it was coming from our heart. Jesus said, What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. What comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. The Pharisees were concerned more about what was going into the disciples' mouths than what comes out of a person's mouth. 
While worship honors God, much of what comes out of people's mouths do not honor God. We need to think about what we say. We need to think about what comes out of our mouth. Because what comes out of our mouth is from our heart. A husband berates his wife and calls her all kinds of names, tearing her down. What comes out of the mouth defiles us. One swear word after another comes from a teen's mouth as he talks to his friend. What, def- what comes out of the mouth defiles us. A woman tells her friend that Jesus is not important, that all religions are the same, that all religions are okay, that, that everything, that as long as you believe sincerely, it gets you to heaven. What comes out of the mouth defiles us. It's not what we eat with unwashed hands. What comes out of our mouth, becomes, what comes out of the mouth is from our heart and honors God or not. Nineteen and twenty. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with one unwashed hands does not defile them. You see where the Pharisees are going wrong here? How they're concerned about washing your hands and not concerned about the heart. They're concerned about what, uh, eating food with unwashed hands, but not concerned with whether they're, they're really leading people into a deeper, more meaningful relationship with God. Not concerned that Jesus is right there in front of them and that he is claiming to be the Messiah, but they don't want to see it with their eyes. They don't want to believe it with the heart, and so therefore they don't teach it to anyone else. They're more concerned with traditions and rules than with having a relationship with God. We should be concerned with whether our desire is to love others as God loves us, to forgive others as God forgives us, to lift up others as God lifts us up, to worship God as God desires to be worshipped. If God has transformed our heart, then it will be evident in our words and in our actions. But we see that the disciples are concerned with the Pharisees, what the Pharisees think of them. They're concerned with what the Pharisees say, right? And they start to talk to Jesus about it. But the Pharisees say this, and the Pharisees think this. But Jesus says, leave them, they are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. So let's say for a moment I move all the chairs out of the middle of the sanctuary and I pick two volunteers and kind of like what I did with the children's sermon and I, and I blindfold one and I ask the other to, and I set up a little obstacle course and I say, okay, lead that person to the obstacle course and then they do it and then I take them back and I change the equation just like I did before and I blindfold both of them and not only do I have a maze but I put a big pit in the middle, I mean a deep, dangerous pit. How many of you would volunteer for that? Both of you are going to be blind. You're going to go through a maze. There's going to be a big, dangerous pit. Who wants to do it? Probably nobody. Why? Because nobody wants to follow someone who doesn't know where they are going, right? Especially if there's danger in front of them. So often in life, we don't see the danger in our world, and we don't see that there are people leading us into these dangerous places in our world, and yet we follow them. This is exactly what's going on with the exactly what's going on with the Pharisees and the disciples. The Pharisees were blind to the truth of God. They were more concerned with their own parents, 
their own power, their own status, with people following them, than leading people to God. They were blind guides. They didn't know true salvation. They didn't believe in Jesus. They're trying to tear Jesus down. They're trying to lead people away from Jesus. They were blind guides, and Jesus was saying to the disciples, don't follow what they say. Don't care about what they think. They are blind guides. You do not need to follow them. You need to follow me, he says. And we do this as well all the time. Charismatic people who speak up and we, we hear this supposed truth from people and we start to believe it and we start to follow it, right? All around our world we see this happening. These things that are supposed to be the truth of our world and people after people after people follow it. We do this when we get caught up in a lifestyle of pleasure or money or career that lead us down the wrong path. They are blind guides. Our focus should be on Christ and on the Word of God. We should only listen to Christ, the Bible, and those who are leading us down the right path. When I was at my church in Lakewood, I had a man come to me one day at the church, and he told me he had this his struggle. He had lost his job. He didn't have money. He needed some medicine. It was really important that he got it that day. He didn't have money. Could I give him $30 to help him with the important medication that he needed? I have people come to me all the time. Sometimes I give them money. Sometimes I know. And I try to seek my heart. I try to sense the spirit. So I, I felt compassion for him. And so I gave him the money. I prayed for him and I sent him on. The next day, I'm not joking. Okay, this is a true story. The next day he comes to the church again. This time with a story that someone stole the money and he still hadn't got his medication and he needed the money. Could I give him the money again? I said, no, I'll pray for you, but I won't give you the money this time. So he said, okay, and I prayed for him. A week later, doesn't even knock on my door. He just walks into my office. I couldn't believe the boldness. He just walked right into my, I had an office kind of that was away from the main office and there's this little hallway and I'd always leave the door open there and then my door opened. And he just walked in into my office, walked into my office, didn't even knock, walked to my office. Again, he asked me for more money. At that point, I was like, I don't want to have anything to do. I mean, he was being bold. He was being rude. He was like being aggressive. Like, no, I'm not going to give you the money. I tell you that story because I think this is how the disciples felt with the Canaanite woman that we're going to talk about here in this next section. We have this situation where the Canaanite woman is, it has this demon-possessed daughter and she wants her daughter to be healed. Matthew 15, 22, a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to Jesus crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. She says, my daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Now, if you read in the chapter a little bit earlier, you see that, that she was constantly coming to the disciples, right? And the disciples wanted to, Jesus to send her away because they said these words to Jesus. She keeps crying out after us. She keeps coming to us and coming to us and coming to us. And they were at that point, I think, where they just didn't want to have anything more to do with her. And so then we have this conversation between Jesus and this woman. Jesus replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. 
Now look at that passage again for a moment. Do you understand why Jesus said you have great faith? Do you understand why Jesus said your, your request is granted? It's almost like there's this little code going on. She says something, he says something, he says, she says something back, right? Like, what does this all mean? So you know what I'm going to do right here? I'm going to paraphrase it for you. And I'm going to read it again, but this time in, in Pastor Chris's paraphrased version. Okay? And so this is how I think it's going. And this is what I think she is saying. Okay? It says, Jesus says to the woman, It is those who are children of God that deserve the food of God. It is not right to toss this spiritual food to those who are not children of God. Then she responds, Yes, but there are some who are not of Israel who believe and who God has made to be children of God. And Jesus says, you have great faith because you know that it is faith by which you are saved. You know to come to me and have faith. Your request is granted. Isn't that interesting? That's really what's going on. But when you read it, you're like, hmm, that's kind of an odd conversation, isn't it? See, an important question for us is this. How can we have great faith, right? That's really key and core to who we are as Christ followers. That's what Jesus was trying to teach the disciples, to have faith all along the way. How can we have great faith? Well, first, we have great faith knowing who to have faith in, right? And it needs to be in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Second, we trust that God provides for our need for our provision, for our salvation, for our guidance, for the meaning of life. We look to Jesus for these important aspects of life. And third, we walk in faith even when we don't understand what's going on, even when we don't feel like God is there, even when we don't feel like our prayers are being answered. We trust and we walk in faith that God is still listening, that God is still working, that God will make all things the reason Jesus praised the Canaanite woman for having faith is that she knew she needed Christ's help and that he was the only one who could help her. Is that your default? Do you know that only in Jesus, that's the, where, the place to go? Do you know that that's the one you should trust? Do you know that that's the one you need, who gives you strength, who helps you when you're talking with others, who, who, who's there for you when you're challenged, who lifts you up when you've fallen? who forgives you when you sin, do you know that Jesus is the one you should always go to? Faith comes from seeking Jesus diligently and wholeheartedly. There's a true story of a man and his wife who were living in Dallas, and they didn't have an air conditioner. They didn't have money for air conditioner. And they knew that the summer months were coming soon. And, and I don't know too much about Dallas. My wife lived in Dallas, and she's told me that it can get pretty unbearable in Dallas without an air conditioner. So they were a little concerned. They were, they were worried. We don't want to go through a summer without an air conditioner. So they said, you know, we're going to have faith. We're going to start praying that God will provide us an air conditioner. You know, sometimes it kind of sounds kind of funny, right? What can I pray for you? Will you pray that I get an air conditioner, please? But that's what they started praying for. And so they started praying every day for an air conditioner. Well, they had to take a trip um, to their parents' house, and so they were there visiting, and then they went to the store one day. And at the store, they happened upon some of their uh, parents' friends, and they were chatting and talking about things that were going on. And unbeknownst to them, their parents' friends said to them, you know, we have an extra air conditioner. Would you like it? 
Imagine that. You're having this conversation. You haven't mentioned anything about needing an air conditioner, but you've been praying for one. And these friends just say out of the blue, you know, we have an air conditioner extra. Do you need an air conditioner? But see, that's how God works. That's how faith works. It isn't about traditions. It isn't about listening to those who think they know what they're talking about, but are really blind guides. It is about seeking out Christ and trusting in Christ and believing that Christ is our guide and leads us to that place where we need to go. Every day you have decisions you have to make. Who is leading you? Is it you? Is it someone else? Is it your spouse? Or is it Jesus? I pray that we would make sure that Jesus is our guide each and every day. Let us pray.